0: So, my son Jared started soccer this year. He's four. You want to see some footage? All right, so check this out. This is my son Jared on the soccer field. Uh, That's Jared. Apparently, uh, four-year-olds don't like to stand in one place for a very long time. (laughs) So, um, just observing what goes on at these four-year-old soccer practices, you know, I tell you, it's really hard to teach four-year-olds what it means to operate as a team. Uh, Very difficult. And you'd be amazed at how they get, they get that when they see the ball, they got to kick it. But kicking it like together as a team in the same direction to try and get it in the goal, that just, you know, I mean, they just don't get that at all. They don't understand it. Uh, And the coach has to constantly work on the basics. There's our goal, that direction. These are your teammates. Don't take the ball from them. Those are your opponents. Don't let them get the ball. And constantly clarifying for them what it means to work uh, as a team. You know what's interesting is sometimes it's really hard for adults to also remember and learn what it means to work on a te- uh, as a team. And um, you may not have experienced this in your past, but sometimes churches have a hard time functioning as a team. In fact, sometimes churches act like they're going toward different end zones. They don't line up on the line of scrimmage facing the same direction. No, no. They line up facing each other, and uh, then the ball's hiked, and there is conflict. Well, there was conflict in the church at Corinth, and uh, we began our study in the book of 1 Corinthians last week. The series is called Church Under Construction, and this morning, the Apostle Paul is issuing in the very first chapter of this book a plea for unity. He wants them to get along, and not only that, he wants them to work together, united, to try and work the ball up the field for the Lord's kingdom. Um, but they were running in 18 different directions, uh, and it wasn't pretty there. So this morning, the sermon is about a plea for unity. And uh, as our baby church just turned two, and we're going into our third full year of, of ministry, this is a very well-timed message because we're getting traction, and, and we're growing, and nothing will bring us to a faster halt, a more of a screeching, painful halt than conflict in God's church. So this morning we'll see, I think the Lord's going to speak to us about what it means to unite together as a team and all head in the same direction for God's purpose. Let's pray and then we'll get into 1 Corinthians. Father, we know that you love your church. Lord Jesus, you died for your church and we're called your household. We are your children, we are your family, but we don't always get along. And so our prayer this morning as we open up our hearts to you is that you would speak to us about unity. Lord, we've enjoyed a good season the first two years of unity and harmony, agreement, and I pray that that would continue. I pray that each person in this room, Lord, who in their past has perhaps experienced the pain of disunity in in churches would hear from you today. Perhaps many are still healing from churches that have turned on each other. Perhaps, Lord, some... Their heart is just not right with you, and they are, they are primed to become divisive. My prayer is that your word would speak to all of us this morning. We give you our hearts. We give you our ears. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, hey, you're getting in at the very beginning here. It's going to take us a year to get through this uh, series, 1 Corinthians and here you you know you can go back and hear the very first message last week online if you want, uh, but we're only in verse 10 of the first chapter, so it's still early. Uh, and we're going to have three main points this morning about what God wants us, how, our, how we can serve uh, to unite together, and then there's a bunch of sub-points too, so get your pen ready. Um, and look at verse 10, where the Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Here's the first thing you can jot down when it comes to being united in God's church. Just write it down. Be united. (laughs) He commands it. Be united. It's a choice. It's a choice every church has to make. How do we do this? Well, it says by agreeing together. That means means speak the same thing, literally. And then it says by avoiding divisions. Uh, The word division could mean schism or split or torn apart. It's used in Mark 2.21 of uh, that saying, an old, uh, a new patch would tear away from an old garment. Uh, and so literally, tearing apart the church of God, avoiding division, avoiding tearing apart God's church. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you will see that these divisions uh, were over the preachers, immorality, uh, going to court, suing one another, marriage, Meat offered to idols, conduct of women in the church, communion, spiritual gifts, the resurrection, and some of these items carried more substance than others, okay? Some fights are over very important doctrinal things, but you know what? Many fights are over dumb stuff, and they were fighting over everything. Some of it was more substantial than others, but all of it was unfortunate. Have you experienced firsthand a a nasty church fight? Have you? I have. I was a new baby believer going up to this church in like Melrose Park, and uh, the church was growing. It had started with like 30 people uh, by faith praying that God would grow them. New pastor came up and cast some vision, and, and people were excited about growing and moving forward, right, until it started growing and moving forward. Then they didn't know how they felt about it. <laughs> Everyone likes the vision, you know, the pictures, the, then the reality comes along. Well, some people got really upset that like a church of 30 became a church of 100, and then 150, and then 200, uh, and, and they got upset. So um, I remember, I'll never forget, getting a letter in the mail one day, uh, anonymous. Not, nobody signed it, you know, as this often is the case. And this letter comes in the mail, and it's like this four-page packet of criticism against the leaders of this church. In fact, there were chapters of a leadership book that, that talked about what it's like when you have an abusive form of church government in your church. And, the, and p- parts of it were highlighted and starred and, and just sent out anonymously to everyone in the church. And I thought, boy, this is interesting. I uh, wonder who sent this. And, and then we had a big church meeting because we, uh, we had decisions to make, right? Have you been to this meeting before? Uh, and the pastor cast a vision and, and uh, all these open doors of faith. And then, and then would anyone like to comment? And guess who's first? This uh, woman gets up and walks up to the microphone, and she starts shouting, I don't like the way this church is going. I don't like the way it's governed. We shouldn't be heading in this direction. And she's got all these people shouting with her, yeah! And now we know who mailed the letter. And, and I had never witnessed anything like this. I'm just this new baby believer, like, this is church. Why are people shouting? I don't understand it. Uh, and, and people on the one side are cheering, the other side they're booing. And geez, get, The pastor had to get up and say, listen, listen, we can have multiple opinions here, but if this is the way we're going to do business, Satan will be swinging from the rafters. And then they kind of calmed down and they fought fairly, I guess, if you can call it that. Have you been in that meeting before? Uh, have you been in that church before? Have you received that letter before? Um, well, well, letters were flying all around Corinth. They were fighting about lots of stuff. And, and Paul says, be united. The word united means perfected together. Uh, it could also mean it's used of mending torn fishing nets. So imagine that, sitting down and there's rips and there's tears and then someone comes along and starts mending them together. That's the word united. Um, within the word, uh, it assumes that things have been torn apart already. It's almost like be reunited because you're not united. This word could also be used of a surgeon mending a joint that has come out of place. Hey, look at this x ray. This is a dislocated elbow. Ooh. And uh, the surgeon who would have to hold that person still and give a little yank to get that bone back into place that's what this word means. All right, you can take that down and get a little queasy. Uh, be united. In other words, bone get. Back into joint, because there's great pain being caused by your division. It says, "Be united in mind and in judgment." Um, the rest of the book lists how to do this. What, is it, what does it mean? Mind and judgment? Well, the rest of the book is how to be united in mind and judgment, but the word "mind" means state of mind or what you're thinking, and then the word "judgment means your opinion or your conclusion. So in other words, the agenda that comes from the thought. So you've got your thoughts, and then, oh, you've got your group has your agenda. And, and Paul says, be united in your thoughts and in your agenda, your purpose. Well, does that mean we have to be uniform? Uh, does that mean there's no place for conversation or diversity? Or Well, no. Um, but let me just give you this, based not only on 1 Corinthians, but also other passages in the New Testament. You can jot these down. Here would be four essential areas of unity that have to be present in every church. Uh, the first one would be this. We must agree on essential doctrines we have to agree we're not having a conversation about whether or not god's word is inspired and authored by god himself that's not something we're thinking over okay we're not having a conversation about whether or not all of humanity will be judged whether or not there is a real heaven a real hell hell's going to last forever uh we're not talking about those things we already have our mind made up about those we're not talking about whether or not christ is truly fully completely god we already know that we've got that one down And if you go to any of our elders, and you're like, well, I just really have a problem with the thought that Jesus is 100% the Son of God. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, okay? Uh, Be ready, because you will be shown no mercy. These are convictions. These are doctrinal convictions in our church, and and we're united on these. Uh, Now, there's plenty of areas where we disagree, and I think this is one strength in Harvest. Uh, that we have uh, several areas where we don't, like, go on witch hunts to make sure that you believe exactly what we believe about these non-essential areas of doctrine. And you'd be surprised, even on our elder board, uh, we have different opinions on certain things. Um, or even if we have the same opinion, we maybe have the different brand of that camp, if, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, things like the end times. When does the rapture happen? What exactly do we believe about speaking in tongues? How, uh, where are we on the spectrum of Calvinism? Uh, What's our opinion of alcohol and Christians? What's the best way to school your children? Uh, We have different opinions. And you know what? The strength of Harvest is that you can have different opinions on those things too. And we're not going to go on a witch hunt in membership class, okay? Okay, we want to know what you believe about this. And we want to know what you believe about this. Uh, We don't do that. But there are the essential doctrines, and we don't budge an inch on those. So we have to agree on essential doctrines. We also have to agree not to jot this down not to campaign for men, uh, not to campaign for men. That's one of the reasons they were divided here. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. I, so they're, they're campaigning around men, um, and we can't do that. Now, I like many Christian authors. I like many Christian speakers. I listen to them, take notes, learn from them. Um, but some people get what we would maybe call an unhealthy level of attachment to Christians who are just humans and nothing more. They're just humans and nothing more. Um, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe you've met John MacArthur junkies, read everything he's put out, listened to every sermon, they're just junkies, or maybe some people who are in the Piper Posse, uh, or maybe with a Chris Chandler click. Maybe that's uh, or, or maybe going way back they're on the Calvin craze still. I mean, the Reformation is alive and well in their heart. Is this a bad thing? No. Is it good to have people who you really resonate with, who kind of, you know, they're your brand and you kind of, eh, that's not a bad thing. All right, but search your heart. Would the people closest to you in life honestly say that Jesus, Jesus is the person you are most excited about? Search your heart. Over the past year, have you tried to campaign more to get people to buy into Christ? Or have you campaigned more to get people to buy into a human? A human. A sinful, despicable, saved from hell, pathetic, sinful, Human, Uh, and and perhaps your affections and your enthusiasm about a person needs to be redirected back, fully, unquestionably to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't campaign for men here. We agree on essential doctrines. We agree not to campaign for men. Uh, Next, we agree that we're united in Christ. We agree that we're united in Christ. Um, This is where perhaps because people don't buy into your brand, or perhaps they're not in your camp. You vilify the other group. Well, are they even Christians? I don't even know if they can be brothers. Uh, Mark Driscoll does a good job of describing um, there's a difference between state borders and national borders when it comes to doctrine. And for some people, every border is a national border. And you go to war to defend your national borders. State borders, you you don't really take up arms for those. I mean, unless you're Texas. Uh, But you don't really go to war for state borders. But for some people, every issue It's war. You don't agree with me exactly. You don't have my very narrow uh, opinion on this polarizing issue. It's on. You're probably not even a Christian. Uh, We don't do that. There's a lot of people from a lot of different denominations who have found harvest to be a home. And we agree we're united in Christ. We're not going on witch hunts over minor areas. Uh, The last sub-point here is we must agree. We must agree that we must preach God's Word. It is a core conviction there is no tampering with this book being preached sunday morning okay i don't care if you would prefer drama instead of the word of god i don't care i don't care if you would prefer a lot more of lighthearted stories or inspirational messages or i don't care if you would like a little more politics and you know tell us about what's going on you know what we don't really care because god wants his word to be preached this will never change in fact if i ever get up here without my bible security has permission to get up here and provide me with one All right? If anyone comes here as a visiting pastor and they get up here without a Bible, security will bring one to the stage. Okay? Uh, We take this seriously and we all have to be united that this word must be preached regardless of how it's received. It has to be preached. And that's clearly coming through the Apostle Paul's voice here this morning. So be united. Be united by agreeing on essential doctrines, agreeing not to campaign for men, agreeing we're united in Christ and agreeing we must preach God's word. John MacArthur lists results, what happens when God's church is divided. Division is demoralizing, it's discouraging, it's weakening, it undermines our testimony, it chases away joy, it limits our effectiveness, and it robs God of glory. It's a high price to pay for division. All right, second point here, not just be united, but uh, what to do, but here's what not to do. Write this down, avoid factious Fighting, avoid factious fighting. Look at back at verse 11. It says in verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. We don't really know much about Chloe, uh, but Chloe tattled. Chloe tattled to the Apostle Paul. It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling, strife uh, among you brothers. It says what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. So they're rallying around people, and then, and then uh, Paul just like blurts it out. Is, is Christ divided? Ironically asking that question. You're going to find yourself somewhere in this group, or you will have encountered one of these groups in your past. You see, things don't really change all that much because we're human. Chloe, perhaps you were <coughs> Chloe's people in a past church. You were the ones who you knew what was going on was wrong you tried to do something, it didn't quite work, but there's always a remnant of people who aren't involved and they're just like, what's going on here? Something, this shouldn't be happening. Kind of on the outside, trying to tell everybody else this shouldn't be happening, and that's Chloe. Maybe, maybe you were there. Paul says, Christ is not divided. Literally, it literally reads, Christ is divided. So it probably would be spoken like this, Christ is divided? The shock of that statement. One of the things that's profound about God's church is this we don't create the unity we preserve it. We are united we can never be we can never be severed from one another. there is a spiritual unity in God's church so the only thing we can do is compromise it and become like a bulging disc on the back of the body of Christ. You can never leave it. You can only bring great pain to it. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. We'll put it up on the screen. In fact, let's say this together. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Check this verse out, Ephesians 2, 18 to 19. Let's read this. For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Newsflash! You are forever spiritually cemented to the person sitting next to you in this room. Look next to them and say, we're in this forever. Look at them. Look them in the eye say, we're in this forever. Okay, so get this. You can't get away from them. Nowhere to go. And it should affect the way that you treat that person, knowing that one day you'll appear before the Father above. Do you know that God says later in this book, do you know what God says? Whoever destroys God's church, God will destroy. And therefore... We have to be very careful how we feel, how we treat, how we talk about people who are of the same body. <clears throat> well, let's talk about what we fight over. Um, each of these groups, you know, we, we're not given a ton of detail on what exactly they believe, but if you would allow me to, um, judging on what else is mentioned in First Corinthians and just some of the other fights that happened in the New Testament, um, allow me to somewhat um, try and guess what it was that each of these groups championed. Uh, Each one of these things that I'm going to share are very biblical. How closely tied it is to this group in Corinth, we don't really know. But I think the Paul group most likely would represent those who would look back to the olden days. The very beginning, he was the first one to reach them. He was the first one to gather around this little group. He was the first one to be their founding pastor. And when he moved on, they didn't know how they felt about that. Apollos came Peter probably made a visit. And, and all these other people are chasing these newer people. And you know what? That original group is just like, we follow Paul. We follow Paul. So you can drop this down. These would be the people who perhaps fight over change. These would maybe be the people who fight over change. And we fight over change in the church today. These would be the people who love the good old days, not sure how they like the advancement. They like predictability. They like stability, they like comfort. They like ease. Okay, that's not bad, but if you become factious over change, if, if you're the one who's going to step out in front of the advancing church and say, somebody's got to stop this. This is getting too hard to manage, too much work. Where are all these people coming from? We Then that becomes dangerous. Um, if you decide to fight, to convene, to become a faction over change, to... To just be the, back to the, the first, if we could just keep it the way it was, looking back to history maybe, um, we don't know for sure. But my guess would be that's the voice of these people. This is the Paul group. Have you been a part of a church where the fight was about change? It, it was the vision, it was the new people, it, it was the turning a corner, and that's what did it. And then there was the camp, the group, and they well, we got to get back to where we were. And boy, they were filled with ambition to try and turn this ship around. We're going in the wrong direction. We've got to turn it around. we got to get back to where we were, the way we've always done things. Back to that. Don't like these new people. Don't like these new songs. Don't like this new pastor. Don't like it. Don't like it. Don't like it. Don't like it. Change became what they fought over. We fight over change today. The Apollos group, if I could suggest to you perhaps, you can write this down. We fight over preferences. The Apollos group, they kind of liked it when Apollos came to town. He was educated, came from Alexandria. Uh, he, knew his, he knew his stuff. He had, he had some degrees after his name. When he spoke, it was like soothing to the ear. Um, Paul admitted that he just wasn't that eloquent. you know? Apollos, on the other hand, wow, when he talks, it's like, whew, I just it just like resonates with me. Uh, perhaps he also appealed to the wealthier, the more intelligent folks in the church. This could have been perhaps a a, a rift over, and we do know later in 1 Corinthians there are fights between economic classes, okay? Who was it that was rallying around Apollos? Well, they just preferred a different kind of a higher level of preaching. That was just their preference. Here's the problem. In being aficionados of what they hear, they were picking one over the other. It's not wrong to want a certain kind of preaching. It's not wrong to want to go deeper. But when the Apostle Paul, who's sent by Christ to your church, is kind of like, meh, eh. But Apollo Paul is like, whoa. Okay, Paul's writing scripture. You don't really like the way he talks. He's writing scripture. Jesus told him to come to your church. All right? And, uh, and there are people in this day and age who, you know, their preference is they prefer a different pastor, not settled with the one they have, you know, and and they'll tell you about it. Uh, Early on, there's some people who came to our church, and we're not far from the main campus up at Harvest Rolling Meadows. Pastor James is an amazing preacher, uh, 20 years experience on the radio, and and they just flat out would say, well, you're not James. And I'm like, I'm not? (laughs) Really? Yeah, newsflash, James is James, and uh, I'm not. And and what's unfortunate is, I don't care what church they pick, but I know that some of them are driving 50 minutes to get up there. They're not in a small group. They're not serving in a ministry. And so it's, it's that they are, they are so uh, needing to be fed by a, uh, this chef, only this chef can prepare my meal, that it is it's, it's bringing their full discipleship to a halt. Okay? And boy, they get a lot of good sermons, but they're not truly being discipled by the standard of what we would call a disciple. Okay. Do you see how that preference that preference, can become a divisive thing and, and it could stunt their own growth? Um, in perhaps a church that you used to be a part of, maybe there was somebody, maybe he was on staff, maybe he was an elder, maybe he was a deacon, but there was something about his persona. People just rallied around him. And when people got mad, this guy knew how to talk about why we were mad. And a bunch of people rallied around him, and uh, and that's what divided the church. It was their preference, and perhaps even to match this group a little more, Uh, Maybe they were kind of elitist in what they believed, you know, they thought they knew better than everyone else, and uh, and so did that staff leader, and uh, we're going to follow him. Uh, So dividing over personas and preferences would probably be the spirit of the Apollos group, and we fight over preferences today. Jot this down, the, the Peter group, more than likely based on what happens in 1 Corinthians, the Peter group would be the Jewish legalists. So we fight over personal convictions write that down. We fight over personal convictions. The the Jews in Corinth didn't know how to feel about these Gentiles. They didn't like the way they ate. They didn't like the way they dressed. They didn't like the way their women interacted in public. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. And, And Peter sometimes, he had a problem with this too. There was a time when Paul had to confront Peter to his face because of the way that he was acting legalistic around Gentiles. You remember that? Okay, so it's likely that this Peter, we follow Peter. We follow cephas It's likely that that group is, well, we got to get the huddle of us Jews together. we got to make sure that we keep preserved from these Gentiles, right, fighting over personal convictions. Those who fight over personal convictions in today's church, here's what they do. They make minor matters major. They make minor matters major. Uh, and it's amazing the amount of energy that they muster up over personal Convictions. Uh, What would personal convictions be? Well, making my list of personal convictions would be uh, dress code. Um, Personal convictions would be style of worship. Personal convictions would be, uh, you know, do. Oh, did you know that their children dress up for Halloween? You might as well tattoo a pentagram on their forehead. All right, personal conviction. Personal convictions can be your opinion on alcohol. It could be what you think about dancing, what you think about cards, what you think about how you believe you should school your children. These things become divisive in church when someone takes a personal conviction and makes a minor matter major. And they expect the leaders to go, again, on a witch hunt. And, well, if they don't believe this personal conviction as strongly as we do, well, I don't even know if we can call this our church. Uh, We fight over personal convictions. They have fought over personal convictions back then, perhaps over meat, sacrifice to idols, whether or not they observed the Sabbath, uh, how much of the Old Testament they should practice and how they should do it. These would be personal convictions. Finally, sub-point here, the Jesus group. You would think the Jesus, we follow Christ. It sounds almost like they got it right, but they didn't get it right. Because here's what they're doing. They're doing this. They're sitting back and they're like, well, there's a Paul's group, and they're fighting, and there's the Peter group, and there's the Paul group. You know what? Forget it. I'm not following anyone. I just follow Jesus. Well, what does that do? What does that do when Paul comes with the authority of Christ to speak to you the words of God? I just follow Jesus. Uh, that doesn't work so great. These would be the anti-authoritarian. These would be the no one's going to tell me what to do. You can jot this down. We fight over power. We fight over power, scorning all authority of men. And this is big. This is big. If you've been hurt by a church in the past, this is big. Okay? It's not the right decision to come to a new church and say, you know what? I'll be here. But they're not going to tell me what to do. They're not going to tell me what to do. They're not going to be my leaders. I'm just following Christ. That's wrong. You can't pull yourself out from under the authority that the Lord puts you under. It's damaging, it's crippling to your spiritual health. And, and the, what it is, is you're wrestling in the wrong way with what people have done to you in the past. Probably some hard, you're, it's hard to forgive, can't let it go. The way you're reacting is you're now punishing the leaders of the next church. And whether or not it ever becomes full-blown and you get your chance, there, they did it now, this they finally did it now, they made me mad too and then you get all worked up and Satan hurls you at other believers and then you become the agent of division that you hated in the last church all right it's not safe what you're doing however you get there you have to forgive no more fighting over power no more fighting over personal convictions no more fighting over preferences no more fighting over change avoid factious fighting the third point is this rally around the cross shot that down rally around the cross says here in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Guys. Isn't that kind of a funny statement? Can you imagine me coming back after like five years of being away? I'm grateful that I didn't baptize any of you. <laughs> Paul's just like, I'm glad my hands didn't touch you because you can't then say that I'm the one who you're following. Uh, and, and yet, what a portrait of humility. Paul's not about the numbers. He's not about getting notches on his belt of how many people he, you know, how silly is that? A pastor who baptizes a believer, and then he's like, hey, who's got the juice? Look what I just did. I baptized 20 people. Ha ha. As if you just did anything for that person. And Paul's like, I don't even want to get, I don't even want to get involved in that. Um, I baptized none of you. And then he's even having a hard time remembering. That's how important it was to him, how many people he baptized in this church, And then he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Well, he did. That's a little confusing, right? Because he said, go and make disciples baptizing. What he's saying here is he didn't send me to rack up converts, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Eloquence is not wrong. Wisdom is not wrong. But when it's at the expense of the cross, when it's being valued more than the cross, when it's encroaching on the space that the cross would ordinarily get, then it's a problem. And it wasn't necessarily Apollos or the teachers who were doing this. It was the people. They're like, give us more of that, less of that. More of him, less of him. Okay. And he says, let's just get back to the cross and rally around the cross, and then we'll be heading in the right direction. Uh, This will be fully unpacked next week, and so we're not going to go deep into it this morning, but let me just say this. I said it last week. If we get Jesus right, everything else will fall into place. If we get Jesus wrong, the wheels will fall off. Do you remember that game growing up called Oregon Trail? How many of you played Oregon Trail growing up? You play it? Hey, there's an app now, Oregon Trail, and I've got it on my phone. It's my latest app craze. Check it out. Here's a picture. Uh, And and we went into this, and my family, we entered in our names. So Ryan... Uh, Lauren, she's in the bonnet. She looks pretty cute, even in the bonnet and all that. She's very attractive. And then our kids, Allie and Cassie and Jared, and we hit the trail. And things aren't going so well. We're halfway there. We're behind schedule. Uh, uh, Cassie got cholera. Uh, <laughs> Jared got a broken arm. Uh, bandits attacked our our uh, our coach and tied me up. And the kids were like, "Daddy, you're all tied up." Uh, and Lauren got dysentery. Uh, and and Allie almost got carried off by a swooping vulture. But we're halfway there, okay, so keep the family in prayer because we don't know if we're going to make it. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll keep you updated. Uh, oh, and our wagon caught fire because it got struck by lightning. <laughs> Who'd have thought? You know what I like about the Oregon Trail is it's such a good, um, it's such a good likeness to the church of Christ. Uh, God has a destination for us to get. And he doesn't get us there quickly, it's slowly. And, and the road all along the way is just filled with trials, hardships. Um, and, and we have to unify and work together, and we have to uh, push through the hardships together if we're ever going to make it. Uh, and, um, you know, our wagon will catch fire, and we will be hit with infirmities. And, and yet we have to persevere, and we have to stay in the same direction, united, or we're not going to get to where God is going. Um last Saturday we had a ministry rally and at our ministry rally I shared four major steps of faith our church is going to take this year. I can think of no better time for those of you who weren't there for me to present them to you as I guarantee that if uh, if, if you want to fight like if you're like I can't wait until I get something to fight about in this church here you go. <laughs> Dust off the gloves. But if you're really wanting to know what can I get on board? I want to get on board. I want to unify. I want to get okay, here's your four chances. Four steps of faith we're going to take this year by God's grace. Number one, we're going to go to two services beginning in late January. Beginning in late January. To give you perspective, a church plant that gets to 200 is like getting to space. Okay? It's out of this world in church plant numbers. A church that gets to 300 is like landing on the moon. And a church that gets to 400 is like colonizing Mars. Uh, astronomical numbers. Okay? Okay? And I'm saying that to give you perspective because God started us when we launched at 350, um, and we've been knocking around 400 the past several weeks, which is amazing, okay? But it's a stewardship, and whoever has been, been given a trust must prove faithful. We just can't, in good conscience, as leaders, as elders, allow this building to become like it's working against us, and it will. If people show up and they feel like there's not a seat for them, they won't come back, uh, and we would have to hit the brakes with both feet to slow down what God is doing. And I really wouldn't want to answer for that on Judgment Day. Okay? So what we have to do is we have to prepare um, to go to two services beginning in late January. We're going to work hard to get all of our ministry teams ready between now and then. So it's not like if you imagine right now, like, oh, what does that mean? I'm going to have to serve for eight hours on a Sunday morning. Uh, No, we're going to get the team ready. What it does mean is if you see new people on your team, you better help to mentor them and shepherd them and get them ready to serve because that's going to be uh, what gives you a respite. Um, But we're going to do that by faith beginning in January. Second, number two, we are going to be the lead church in helping to plant Harvest Bible Chapel in Northern Ireland. Were you here when Pastor D.C. spoke several weeks ago? How many of you were here for him when he preached? All right, Pastor D.C. Is, preaching the, is planting the first harvest in Northern Ireland. And he has nothing waiting for him there. No money, no people, nothing. He's got nothing. He's going back to the island with a Bible uh, and God. And he's going to start this church. So they, they asked us, the Harvest Fellowship asked us if we would partner and be like the mother church To harvest in Northern Ireland. And the elders prayed about it and took a few months, thought through it, weighed all the pros and cons. It helped us to really start forming our own personal missions philosophy. Uh, And we, you know, we found out that it doesn't mean that this is the only thing we're doing for the next three years. We can still spread out. We can go to Ethiopia. We can go help this church in Kenya, do some humanitarian stuff too. But the biggest thing we're going to do the next three years is we're going to help harvest Northern Ireland to launch it's going to involve sending a team over to train them because they don't know the first thing about harvest. I will be going over there probably three times, um, and uh, it is going to be an amazing adventure. So keep that in prayer. By faith, by faith, what we're doing here is going to make a giant impact in another country. It is going to. Number three, raise your hand if you still want to be meeting in Stagg High School in five years. Raise your hand up high. Anyone? No one? You do. All right. What's your name, buddy? Joe, you're on the road crew next week. 6.30 a.m. You've got to report to the back doors, and you're going to help bring everything. No, I'm just kidding with you, buddy. I'm just kidding. If an adult had raised their hand, they would have been on the road crew from now until we leave this building. Uh, Church in a box, portable church, is a temporary thing, and we need more vision than that since since we're growing. Two services will only slow it for a time. So what we're going to do is the time to save and to research and to plan for a future facility that we can call home is now. Uh, do you know that STAG, they give us a year contract, but they can end it They can end it like today. They can call me right now and end it if they want to. Uh, that's how much security we have in this building. And we have a great relationship with the people at STAG, but a new principal, a new theater director, a new superintendent, why would we rest our future on those shifting waves? Uh, so Banks like to see savings, God loves to see faith, so by faith we're going to step out and on December 18th, you can write that down, December 18th, we are going to publicly open a building fund. We'll take up a one-time nest egg offering on December 18th and then from that moment on it'll be open and if you'd like to give to it, you can. We're not at the point where we're starting a campaign, Uh, it is your first opportunity to give by faith to the facility that God will provide for us. And hear me on this. There will be people who come along in the future who can give by sight. They'll see the architectural drawings. They'll see the land. They'll see the thermometer. You know, all those things that you typically associate with building stuff. But we have a unique opportunity here at the beginning to give by faith. We don't have any idea what God is going to do, but I guarantee you it will be one of the biggest stories he writes in our church. He has something planned. He has the place picked out. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be a wagon trail ride getting there. I guarantee that we'll test our faith. But this is your chance to give by faith, sacrificially, on December 18th. And our challenge is that you would give as sacrificially as possible by faith. For some of you, that may, I mean, if you're out of work and, boy, putting a 50 in the plate is like, there it goes, there goes all of it. And God will honor that. For others, $50,000 is like barely a sacrifice. I don't know, whatever sacrifice means to you. But this is your first chance to actually give to this fund that we're offering, and we believe that God is going to see our faith. He will honor it. He will do more than we could ever possibly think or imagine in the years ahead. But the time to start is now. Fourth, as we grow, we realize that if we're not intentional about prioritizing relationships, we're going to become less friendly. So we're going to give you an opportunity if you want to form stronger relationships, and just have a fun time together. You can write these dates down. July 30th through August 4th, next summer, we're offering a harvest family vacation. If you want to come, for people of all ages, but uh, if you have kids in particular, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be at Silver Birch Ranch uh, up in Wisconsin. It's maybe five and a half, six hours away. We're going to show some pictures up there. Our family went last year, and we get to rent this whole camp out. And there'll be people who could come from all over the country also. But um, in the mornings, they've got like a vacation Bible school running for the kids. And all the adults can gather for like a chapel time. So I'll be speaking just uh, a devotion each morning. Mark's going to be there with several members of our worship team. Um, Mike Dawson, who came up, he uh, works in the Amazon with uh, the uh, Yanomamo people. He's going to be there. He's going to lead a session. So it would be great not only for you, uh, but to bring people in your family who you really kind of want them to, uh, to have some fun with other Christians and maybe even hear the gospel. Um, so, and then in the afternoon, it's just like all-out family fun. They've got horseback riding, there's whitewater rafting, uh, there's, a, there's a beach, there's a lake, there's, uh, there's boating. Uh, there's like everything you can possibly imagine there. So we're going to put more details on our website, but if it's possible for you to uh, steer your vacation in this direction... It would be awesome. Imagine the Sunday after we do this together to come back here. You would just know people so much better. and We'd have all those shared experiences, you know, saving Gary Wingles from the raft, yanking him back in as he's falling out. Uh, it just does something to form up friendships when you get away together. Well, hey, those are four things that you can rally around as we seek to follow the Lord together. I'm going to invite the worship team up on stage now. And this is true. If we focus on Christ and get Jesus right, everything else will fall into place. This last song that we are going to sing in a moment really takes our eyes and it puts them back on Christ. And as you think about what Christ did for you, as you think about why he did it and what he's calling us to do together, let's just all together, unified, sing of the thing that is going to be our rallying point, the cross of Christ. Let's all get up together Let's close out by singing this song together, And Can It Be.